William. I'm Dave. Dave is my pastor. Willie is a hospice chaplain. And we've been friends for more than 20 years. We've had thousands of conversations about things that matter and things that don't. So now we're inviting you to join in. Each week we pull a topic out of the hopper and talk about it. This is the Hopper Podcast. Hey, welcome to the Hopper Podcast. How you doing, Willie? I'm doing all right. How are you, Dave? Good. We've got a big topic today. We've yes, been thinking we about do. it for some time. It's also been suggested that we take on this topic by one of our listeners, Jenny Stiller. Um, and she has an email here that she's been enjoying our podcast and has especially appreciated the various conversations about race. Yeah. Um, and, but she said, if I had one criticism, it would be that I want them to be longer and to uh, delve more deeply into some of the topics. And then she has listed a number of suggestions for the Hopper. Yeah. And one of them is this big topic that you and I have been thinking about tackling, and that is abortion. Yeah. And abortion is a difficult one because it's a hot topic and there's a lot of emotion oh my around gosh, it. So and much. people are very polarized about yes. it. I hear very few people talking about abortion, but almost everybody has really strong emotions about it. Right. And that yeah. makes it difficult for everybody. Yes. And there are numerous people that you have run into, that I've run into, that anyone listening has run into who has had an abortion and you don't know it. That's right. And there is a lot of emotion and complication following that. Uh, Huge. Yeah. So as pastors, we know this. That yeah, we have that's talked right. to many people who, that's right. after an abortion, have had that's right. all kinds of depression, anxiety, right. suicidal thoughts. Just, that's right. It's a heavy, heavy burden. It's a heavy topic. Um, does a woman have the right to choose to end her pregnancy? Um, do we, can we legislate that she cannot? Right. Um, right. these are all, uh, important things for us to discuss. And so we need to do this carefully and thoughtfully. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, we, uh, we want everyone to, to try to listen through any points of disagreement or, yeah. yeah. And that's the idea of the hopper that these are hospitable conversations. And, yes. Um, and so there's, uh, there's going to be a point that everyone's going to be upset with, right? I think that's right. How I think, could it not be? I think that no matter what your view of this issue is, we're going to say some things on this episode that are going to surprise you. And um, if you think you know where we're going, you probably don't. Yeah. And it's disturbing. It's disturbing The entire material. thing yeah. is disturbing all over the place. Definitely emotionally charged, and we need to try to talk about perspectives and truth and maintain civility at the same time and compassion. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I think we ought to start with the Bible. Sounds good. Because you and I, we love the Bible. We're committed to its message. Um, and the thing is, the Bible doesn't really um, address abortion directly. It does say things like in Psalm 139.13, for, speaking to God, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. That passage is metaphorical, of course, because um, I, I, I don't think anybody thinks that a fetus is made through a process of divine knitting. Right. Right. But metaphors are not meaningless, and it seems that the author, David, is assuming that God regarded him with great honor even as a fetus, right. even in his mother's womb, and that's important. There's a number of other passages like that, too, but honestly, I think that if those are the only kinds of passages we had... Um, I'm not sure that we could be real definitive about mm -hmm. abortion. Well, there is a passage in the law. Exactly. Let me read yeah. that to you. Yeah, okay. That's in Exodus. Exodus 21, uh, verses 22 and following. And 
it's a it's a weird part of the law, and there's a lot of passages, in, a lot of things in here that we could talk about. But think about it just in the terms of abortion. This is probably what you were thinking of. Mm-hmm. It says this: when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, so that her children come out, but there is no harm, then the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Okay, so that's the law. Yeah. Right? There's all kinds of other issues here. But right. for whatever reason, if a person causes the death of a woman's unborn child... Accidentally. He's, accident- he's fighting with some other guy. Yeah, that's right. Rams into this woman. Then he is responsible for killing this unborn child as if he killed a person who was out of the womb. Correct. And so that gives us an indication, theologically, philosophically, that the unborn child has the same rights as he or she does outside of the womb. Right. That's really important. In the Bible, in Christianity, humans have special rights that other creatures don't have. We've, You and I have talked before about how we should treat animals and plants and um, other things that God has made. But the Bible separates human beings out as being made in God's image. That comes straight from Genesis 1 and then many other passages throughout the Bible. Uh, In some special way, God wants us to protect human life because it bears his image. Men and women, boys and girls, are in the image of God. And that concept is pervasive throughout the Bible. The entire sixth commandment, do not kill, is directed only at humans because only humans bear God's image. And that's important because um, Christians have often argued that abortion is wrong because it stops life. Now, that's true, but that's not the problem that abortion has. Yeah. It's not that it stops life. Everybody agrees that abortion stops unique life. Um, but most of us agree that stopping a life per se is not wrong. There was a mosquito that I stepped on, I mean, a, a, an ant that I stepped on this morning. Well, and yesterday we were out last night, and we had mosquitoes, and I killed a few mosquitoes on my arms and legs. Yeah. I got no problem with that. Stopping a life per se is not a problem. Um, most of us believe that, right? So that's not the image. The image, the, the problem is not, the problem is not, does it stop a life? The problem is, is that life made in the image of God? And so the question is, is a fetus in the image of God? Because if so, then that changes everything. Right. But if it doesn't, then abortion, I mean, if, uh, if it doesn't stop, uh, if it doesn't end an image of God life, then abortion may be similar to, like, putting down a rabid dog, where it, it's sad, but it may be the best thing to do in some situations. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, science can't tell us whether a person is made in the image of God, whether right. a life is made in the image of God. That's a theological and philosophical discussion. Right. And no matter how you couch it, you can call it pregnancy tissue or fetus. Um, there are lots of ways that people use yeah, language to try, right. to try to um, degrade or, or um, you know, defile, debase, whatever, um, the, the, the life form that is in the womb. If sure. it's human, we're talking about an image bearer. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. Or at the very least, I mean, how do you prove that? How do you prove that? Um, at the very least, I think that it is likely. From Scripture, I can't... Because the Bible doesn't say, except for in this one passage where the 
unborn child is treated as if it were a person with the same rights as a person who's outside the womb. Yeah. And to me, that's very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. So I want to protect abortion from the moment of conception because uh, this is the unborn child. You want to protect abortion? I'm sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. I want to protect I want to protect babies. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I want to protect babies yeah. from abortion from the moment of conception. Mm-hmm. Um because I, I it, at the very least I want to err on the side of caution. Right. Yeah, of not ending a life made in the image of God. Um I'll say one more thing about uh, ethics and and biblical stuff right here. Unless you've got something here. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted okay, to point ahead. out. I the way I I like to phrase this yeah. is a genetic individual. Yes. Um, when you, yes. you know, and some people don't understand this at all. They think that that um, semen has uh, you know people uh, in DNA form. Yeah. That are being wasted. Right. Uh, right I, I right, interact right. with some people on the internet about. Oh, oh gosh, you don't understand yes. biology at all. Um, there yeah. are gametes, you know, half a chromosome of human, right, and right. so. Um, but when those when those gametes come together and you have a full set of human chromosomes, yeah, um, that that person, that individual, that set of of DNA, will never exist again. Right, has That's never right. existed before. That's right, and will never exist again. It is a That's unique right. combination of genes. That's right. That can spell out and develop a person. Who is, if you want to argue the image of God, right? Right. right. Um, I don't know where you would draw the line and say this is this is where they become an image bearer. That's the hard thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure it matters to me. Yeah, because the programming for that genetic individual has been set in place and is living tissue <clears throat> and is on its way sure. to becoming an image bearer if it isn't currently. Oh, there's no question about that. Right. There's no. But but is it is it when the DNA comes together or is it when a heartbeat? Or is it when they take their first breath? Or is yeah. it when... I, I, I don't know. But at the very least, as you said, that when, that when that genetic material comes together, that's a genetic individual. That's right. And at the very least, it's on its way. And I want to err on the side of caution. At the very least. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay, so one more thing here about ethics um, before we move on to a different topic uh, on, on this same issue. Um, some people... Um, agree with me about ethics, the ethics of abortion here, but they carve out exceptions for rape and incest, or incest. Mm-hmm. And I understand that asking a rape victim to carry her baby to full term seems cruel and inhumane. I can only imagine the potential horror that she would have to endure to do that. And I'll say at the very least, our society has done a horrific job helping victims of rape. And so often we have blamed the victim instead of getting her the help that she needs. And uh, not, not, I'm saying I, I, when a woman is raped, sometimes that ends up in a pregnancy. Men are also raped, and we've done a terrible job dealing with that issue as well. But I guess that's a mm-hmm. different thing. We need to talk about that some other time. Anyway, um, rape vic- victims need a ton more support than they get, no matter the outcome. But if there's a pregnancy... Honestly, I don't see how that changes the morality of abortion. Right. Um, it does mean that she'll need far more help and support from society than victims of rape who don't get pregnant, who mm-hmm. also need way more than they're getting. Agreed. But honestly, um, not only am I thoughtful about this, or this, not only are these my thoughts, but it's also very personal for me because I know and love someone very dear to me 
whose birth mother was raped, and he's the product of that crime. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you that his life was worth saving. And yeah. it's, it's not just because I love him, but it's because he's made in the image of God. Yeah. Likewise, I, I think all of us perhaps know somebody, maybe, yeah. um, that, that avoided an abortion. Yeah. And, um, and maybe their conception, maybe it was from that or some other unwanted issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. But their life has been glorious. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And then when it comes to incest, um, I suppose there could be incestuous uh, pregnancy that was also rape. That happens, um, and I've already kind of addressed that. But incest that's not rape, it's hard for me to see this as a moral exception as well, because um, while it is more likely to have genetic anomalies uh, or abnormalities, we want to prevent those in society if we can, of course, but there are many genetic genetic abnormalities and uh, that are not based on incest, mm-hmm. and we don't advocate for abortion for those people either. And I, I, I just don't see a difference in morality there either. Um, so let me give you some background of the history of abortions. Rodney Stark is a sociologist at Baylor University. He writes a lot about the first few centuries of the church during the Roman Empire. And his book, Rise of Christianity, talks about abortion and infanticide. They were really common in the Roman Empire. Mm. Women would often ingest poison just enough to kill their baby, but not to kill themselves. Hmm. The problem is that they would often, uh, they die in the process, because how do you know how much poison to take, and if the poison is concentrated enough, I mean, all those things. So some women did that. Others uh, would insert poison into their uterus, Mm -hmm. and that often would work, uh, but not always, but it would rarely ever induce labor. So the woman would have, if it did work, she would have a dead baby in her uterus. And that would need to be extracted pretty quickly, otherwise it could cause the death of the mother too. And so and extraction methods were mostly hooks and knives. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. There were yeah. a lot of women that died from those wounds, from a loss of blood or infection or all right. kinds of things. Right. And um, Rodney Stark goes on to talk about how Christians were adamant from the beginning of the church that abortion was wrong. Hmm. And so by and large, they never engaged in abortions. The churches didn't. And this is one of the reasons that Christianity grew so fast. Christian women survived pregnancy at much higher rates than non-Christian women in the Roman world. And they didn't kill their own children. And so the difference in fertility rates—see, he's a sociologist, he's interested in that. But the difference in fertility rates between Christians and non-Christians at that time is remarkable. Um, Since abortion was so risky, a lot of non-Christian women who wanted to uh, abort or not, you know, to end unwanted pregnancy, uh, they would carry their babies to full term, and they would be born, but then they would take their newborn down to the river or to a stream— and leave the newborn baby in the grass mm-hmm. there, knowing that animals would come to the water to drink and then would have something to eat as well. Christians, by contrast, were known across the Roman world to walk along the riversides early in the morning, listen, listening for the sounds of mm. babies crying. And Christians would adopt those babies and raise them as their own, which is another reason that Christianity grew so fast. Mm-hmm. So from the very beginning of Christianity, abortion was common in the world... And Christians refuse to engage in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I could talk for a long time about the history of abortion, but let me skip some to the United States, unless you've got... What, what do you think about that? 
Well, I think it's great. I think it's uh, it's interesting. It reminds me of Moses and yes, uh, yeah, and the, some stories in the Bible and uh, of of the the line of David just narrowly making it through and yeah, you know, and 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 almost God's um, interest and appreciation for the covenant, uh, you know, surviving by threads, yes, and and people, his people surviving against all odds. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, there are lots of Old Testament passages that come to mind when I think about this. And, and the, the, to me, the heroics of Christians going out and finding those babies and raising them and taking on the responsibility. And there's so many people looking to, to adopt and raise mm-hmm. children. You know, mm-hmm. we'll get into that. We will. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to skip the United States yeah. um, because we don't have, we don't want this to be a 12 hour Uh, (laughs) uh, podcast okay before abortion was legal in the United States Mm -hmm. there were still of course many unwanted pregnancies and what would happen is that wealthy women would be able to go to other countries to have an abortion where it was legal or they could pay a ton of money to local doctors to perform safe abortions that were illegal but the majority of abortions were unsafe and often led to complications Mm -hmm. because of the stigma and the legal ramifications uh, of it, abortions were rarely talked about, let alone recorded. So nobody knows for sure, but anecdotal evidence from hospitals suggests that women with quote unquote health complications due to pregnancy, they were actually really, really common. So common mm-hmm. um, among the poor that Cook County Hospital, which is Chicago's public hospital, yeah, they had an entire ward that cared only for women suffering from health complications due to pregnancy. Abortions, botched abortions. And most of the public hospitals in the big cities across the United States had wards, had floors that did nothing but botched abortion health care. Yeah. 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 Um, the hospitals dealt regularly with the aftermath of these things, and a lot of those women died from the infections and the wounds. Yeah. Um, which tells us that this is a serious problem. Huge. Um, Huge. Yeah. And so the, the answer our society came up with is, is uh, quote, healthy abortion. Right. Not yeah. quite yet. Hold on. There's, yeah. there's an intermediary step here. During that time, a lot of clergy groups and churches and Christian organizations helped women to find safer abortions. Uh, I can understand why, mm-hmm. for sure. If you're interested in that movement, I don't want to talk too much about it, but you can go down a rabbit hole that's fascinating if you look up the story of Jane. Jane was a code name for a group of women who would perform safe, inexpensive abortions for women who didn't want to use a coat hanger or some other mm. horrible device. Right. Uh, they, the uh, organization of Jane kept decent records, and their safety record for mothers is comparable to abortions today which were incredibly safe for the mothers, obviously not for the children, but incredibly mm-hmm. safe for the mothers, unlike, you, you know, your right. bedroom abortions or whatever, you know, coat hanger or whatever, bathroom. Right. So you can understand how people at this time uh, began to organize to make abortions legal so that it could be safe for everyone. And so states started legalizing some abortion, and then it was in 1973 that the Supreme Court said that abortion was, quote, the right of privacy founded on the 14th Amendment's concept of personal liberty. Mm-hmm. That was the decision Roe v. Wade. Yeah. And under Roe, all mothers in the nation could get an abortion in the first trimester. And states then could regulate abortion as they decided that they wanted to do that in the second trimester, based on a woman's health. And states, if they wanted to, could ban abortion in the third trimester 
unless the life and health of the pregnant woman was in jeopardy. That was huge, that abortion is legal for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And after that, the federal government and the states had all sorts of regulations and fights about Medicaid funding and parental consent for minors who wanted abortions. I'm going to skip over all of that. It's super fascinating stuff. But And go right to 1992 in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. The Supreme Court made another huge decision. Pennsylvania law at the time required a ton of boxes to be checked to get an abortion. You had to have, to get an abortion, you had to have a 24-hour waiting period, spousal notification, parental consent. Um, The doctor was mandated to give biased counseling to those seeking an abortion. And there were lots of other, like, really burdensome requirements. And so some people were saying, it's too much. It's too much to check all these boxes. So the Supreme Court made two big changes to the existing practice of abortion. First, they said that no state could place an, quote, undue burden on a person's access to abortion. And then secondly, it abandoned the whole trimester system about whether abortion should be legal or not. It said that if a, um, if a fetus is viable, that is, if it could live outside the mother's womb, then the states could regulate abortions at that point. But before that point, abortion had to be legal and uh, without an undue burden uh, to prevent people. Uh, the court said that Pennsylvania's laws regarding spousal notification for an abortion was the only thing that, it, that was on that big check, you know, uh, check boxes. Mm-hmm. That spousal notification was the only thing that was an undue burden. Hey, tell me this. Sorry to interrupt. But in your research, uh, did that include minors? Um, Minors, can they just go and get an abortion without parental notification? No, still parental notification Uh is still important. But here, what they struck down was spousal notification because um, spouses, uh, some, are very abusive. Mm -hmm. And so they said, no, that's, you don't have to, uh, women don't have to notify their spouses in order to get an abortion. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so then after that, states do all kinds of regulation of late-term abortions. Tons in every state is doing... In fact, since Roe v. Wade, states have enacted more than 1,000 laws restricting abortions, with many fights about partial birth abortions and the standards of health care for an abortion clinic, federal funding for abortions, domestic and foreign aid, and so on and so on and so on. I mean, you could go down... There could be an entire podcast with with 1,000 episodes on just the legal fights of abortion, let alone other issues here. Mm Mm-hmm. But as things stand now, it's fairly easy and widespread to get an abortion by medication only. You can get a prescription by telehealth conference with your, with your doctor. So mm-hmm. you, you just, like, at your computer, do a, a FaceTime with your doctor. The doctor will prescribe medicine that can be mailed, show up at your house, and that's the abortion. And that's pretty widespread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's ways to get medicine without seeing a doctor. Those are illegal, but they're not ever forced. They're, they're not ever enforced, those laws. Uh-huh. Yeah. And many states are trying to limit access and criminalize um, those kinds of methods as well. But the fights go on. And as we record this right now, the Supreme Court right now has agreed to hear a new case on abortion regarding a law in Mississippi that has the potential, the Supreme Court has the potential to reverse Roe v. Wade. Hmm. That's what they're arguing for. Okay. It's, an, it's interesting right now because President Trump, if you remember, appointed three very conservative judges to the court. And the ideological shift um, ha, ha, has gone right toward those who oppose abortion rights. And so it's going to be very interesting to see when they actually take—they've agreed to hear the case, but they haven't heard it yet. And so those who are on both sides of this issue are going to be watching really, really carefully what happens. Yeah, interesting. 
Okay, so now I want to talk a little bit how Christians have responded to abortion in America over the years. And I'll start this by saying this. Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church has been resolute and faithful in its opposition to abortion from the beginning always. Okay. I, and that is mm-hmm. um, a lot of people don't quite realize that that Protestants have a very mixed uh, scorecard on that however uh-huh. you, however you want to look at it. But there's a common uh, understanding that the religious right in the 80s was founded on pro-life policies, but that is just not true at all. The religious right was founded on racist policies. And this is very well documented. I'll give you a real thumbnail sketch yeah. and how, it, how they came to be understood as pro-life in, in its foundation. After the Supreme Court's Brown versus Board of Education ruling on public schools, and public schools were forced to integrate, if you look at, um, right now, lots and lots of private Christian schools across the South, you'll see that a huge number of them were started in the 60s. Um, and they started as whites-only schools mm-hmm. connected to Christian churches. And there were huge fights between the IRS, um, who refused to give funding to those schools, including like Bob Jones University and Lynchburg Christian School that later became um, Liberty. Liberty. Uh-huh. And those kind of schools. And that motivated evangelicals to band together to form the moral majority, claiming that the IRS was interfering with religious freedom. Uh-huh. And the leaders and the pastors were super excited about it, but it was hard to sell for the average Christian in the pew because they saw it for what it was, which is blatantly racist. And so the mu- that movement struggled for a number of years in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And at the time, uh, when Roe v. Wade happened, 1973, Protestants, when it happened, Protestants yawned. They didn't care. Um, they saw abortion as a Catholic issue. Mm. That's something the Catholics have been passionate about from the beginning. Right. And so Protestants said, well, that's a Catholic issue. We don't really care. And that's maybe hard to believe. But listen to this. Jerry Falwell, who was one of the founders of, of the religious right, uh, um, at this time, the time of Roe v. Wade, was fiercely anti-political. Pat Robertson, who was also, he, uh, was also one of the founders of religious right, he said abortion is no concern of his. Southern Baptist leaders said they had no problem. When the Southern Baptist Convention met after Roe v. Wade, Someone brought up the question at the convention, and they said that they have that as a, as a body they said they had no problem with the with the decision of Roe v. Wade that year. In fact, in, um, in 1976, this is years after Roe v. Wade was uh, and le- abortion was legalized. The Southern Baptists adopted a statement that says that Christians should look to expand abortion rights for women. 1976. Interesting. I didn't know any of this. W. It's a. Fascinating. W. A. Criswell was the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He was a pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. Huge, massive church in, in that world, right? He said, quote, I have always felt that it was only after a child was born and had a life separate from its mother that it became an individual person, and it has always therefore seemed to me to be what is best for the mother and for the future that should be allowed. End quote. Yes. In your reading, did you come to any um, thoughts about why this is? Was it the, a disdain for Roman Catholics? Was it uh, uh, just a, a overshadowed by their interest in race? Um, I think both of those, I, I don't know. Yeah. Why is that? I'm not sure. I think that's difficult to know. I suspect it has a lot to do with power and race, and then um, it, race has a lot to do with it, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, Francis Schaeffer 
was one of the first Protestants to really start criticizing abortion and its legalization. And few people listened to him, but he was such a—he's hard to argue with. I don't know if you've ever heard him or read his books. He's, he was a pretty amazing man. Yeah. And so he started to gain more and more prominence. Uh, and when the religious and political leaders failed to get traction for their racist rhetoric— they began to notice that Francis Schaeffer was starting to get momentum not with the leaders of the church, but with the, pew, with the people in the pew. Yeah. Francis Schaeffer was convincing them that abortion was wrong and pulling them together. And the political and uh, religious leaders started um, adopting his rhetoric of uh, abortion as killing babies, and that's when evangelicals caught fire. The pastors started beating that drum in their sermons. And so Jerry Falwell preached his first sermon on abortion in 1976, more than four years after Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. And it was after he had failed to get a group of people together on his racist rhetoric. Hmm. The Republican leaders, the Republican Party leaders and pastors got together and they formed this coalition to elect Republican Ronald Reagan as president and to defeat Jimmy Carter. It didn't matter that Jimmy Carter was a born-again Christian, a Sunday school teacher, and that during his pregnancy, he had worked very hard to reduce the number of abortions. During his pregnancy? Or his presidency? During his presidency. <laughs> Man, I'm... <laughs> My mind is ahead of, uh, of this entire episode. My You're rocking and rolling, idea. man. Okay. Thank you for correcting me every yeah. time. <laughs> during his... Yeah. During his presidency, he had worked very hard to reduce the number of abortions, but he didn't try to make it illegal. And... Um, I don't know if you know this about, um, about him, but he stopped teaching his weekly Sunday school at his church because of the COVID pandemic. No, I didn't Did know, you know that. Did you know that? No. Yeah. I, he, in Georgia, he taught weekly Sunday school until the COVID pandemic. Hmm. I mean, he's, he's just a, a wonderful man of God, even if we dis- might disagree with him on some politics, but I mean, right. talk about loving the Lord Jesus, of course. Anyway... When he was president, he, didn't see, he did not go after a constitutional amendment to ban abortion altogether, and so the Republicans and this moral majority just considered him evil, and they elected, and they pushed forward Ronald Reagan, who um, had promised to ban abortion, to ban abortion, and so then that was why they went after him and elected him. Interestingly enough, while he was governor of California, which was just prior to that, right, um, he had just signed into law the most liberal abortion law in the country, and he had no commitment to Christianity personally himself at all. Yeah, so this is no surprise, this yeah. part, that, that whatever topic is hot, right. you politics will attach itself to it to get into office and have power over whatever topics they're concerned with. I think that's what—that's no—yeah, that's yeah. that is that's happening what, today. It's happened a thousand years ago. Power. Politics, yeah, 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 you're right. Politics is always trying to attach— to whatever is going to get them in office. And the, polit- the po- politicians saw the power that the pastors had, and the pastors saw the power that the politicians had, and they made this alliance that mm-hmm. was just hor- Anyway, from all of that, Reagan was elected. Abortion wasn't the only issue to be sure, but that was very important in that election. And that win made the pastors feel very powerful, and it spurred them on even more. Um, since then... Uh, the moral majority gained an enormous amount of power. I think that power was horribly misused. Uh, tactics to oppose abortion included blockades that block entrances to abortion clinics, mm-hmm. property damage, stalking, death threats, physical violence, including the murders of at least 11 people, four doctors, yeah. two clinic employees, two law enforcement officers. The pro-life movement yeah. is... Um, 
st- right now split on the tactics about how to move forward. But certainly they have included rigorous legal battles, quiet prayer outside abortion clinics. There's good and bad people doing good and bad things. Yeah. But you uh, and I certainly are old enough to remember the, the bombing oh, yeah. of abortion shelters. And, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's hard for me to... At that point, it becomes very, very clear that they're not, it, that's not pro-life if you're willing to kill people to... I mean, it's just there's something wrong about that. Hmm. There's something That's not how Jesus did it. That's not how Jesus showed us to do it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that... Man, um, the, the politics always muddies things, and that's, and that's what our problem is today, is trying to sift through... Yes. Yeah, but if we can... You know, let's get back to the the nuts and bolts of what's happening in this procedure. I think that's a great idea. You know, when you look back at the at the um, the, the scripture, yeah. you know, the, and we say we have a, a genetic individual at conception. Yes. That is yes. that is has all the programming to yes. become a yes. full human being that can live outside of the womb. Yes. Um, and so this is all part of a process. And where the the image of God is bestowed, I believe it's at that it's at that genetic individual. Um, but we can't argue that from the scripture. Yes. Right? We just know that that there is concern for the fetus. Right. Ex- right. Clearly expressed in the scripture. And yes. we see the history, we see the impetus yes. for people to want to bring safe abortions. Yes. Given the fact that there, throughout history people have not wanted pregnancies at times and have done drastic measures to try to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Um and so but let's let's look at the procedure. This is this is a rough part of uh of our presentation. But we need to talk about what's really happening. We do. Um, because uh, people who are advocates for abortion will take the language and, and really uh, dumb it down mm-hmm. and try to make it sound like it's nothing. Yeah. Uh, if you went to the Planned Parenthood website, it'll talk about gentle suction right. uh, to remove the pregnancy material or pregnancy right. tissue. Yeah. Um, so let me, let me just ex- that explain. Sounds, that, I don't think that's what's going on. Yeah. Let, let's, let's talk about the actual procedure. Again, part of this is pretty rough, so okay. be warned, um, listeners. In the first trimester, you can take a pill, uh-huh. and that's called a medical abortion. Yes. And that pill basically cuts off the blood supply to the fetus, the mm. child that's mm. in the womb. Yeah. And so um, whatever biologically is happening in this rather slow death, um, I'm, not, I'm not certain, but it sounds pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a child, when they are uh, very young, they, they begin to look like a, a, a baby. Yeah, um, sure. Very early. Pretty, yeah. Yeah. And uh, at 11 well, first they look weeks, like a bean. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they start <laughs> really as a, small. As a, but as yeah, a clump it, of tissue, yeah, a clump of cells, a blastula, and it, you know, there are various stages of development, but right. it's on its way. Yeah, right? and you can see a baby pretty, pretty yeah, quickly. Pretty yeah. early on, you're yeah. you're looking at, at a, a human, and uh, in that first trimester, I mean, you uh, there are um, there's a heartbeat, mm-hmm. there are brain waves, there are mm-hmm. organs developed, there are mm-hmm. fingerprints. Um, this child is uh, feeling pain. Um, they've researched this and can determine that oh, yeah. actually if uh, a baby in utero feels greater pain. Mm. Um, so in the first trimester, you can take this pill that kills the baby yeah. and then you will, you will, your body, it's an, it's small enough in material that it can just come out as a, as a kind of rough period. Yeah. 
Um, another way is they, they take a vacuum tube and they just suck the baby right out mm-hmm. of the uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, now, prior to inserting a vacuum tube, there has to be dilation. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, a procedure where they, oddly enough, they take seaweed. Uh, now, in the U.S., they've made a synthetic material. But sure. back in history, it was, a, it was a piece of seaweed that they would dry and roll up and insert into the cervix. And as it absorbed body fluids, it would expand. Huh and force the cervix, cervix open. Wow. And then they, you can insert a vacuum tube and, and pull everything out through yeah. the tube. Yeah. Um, and now we have a synthetic device that does the same thing. And then right. once you, you get a little bit of dilation, there are medical um, tools, Im- implements, metal, that, that, uh, that increase in size and force the cervix open mm. further and further and further. And this is uh, very important when you get to a second trimester abortion. Sure, because... The- yeah, the baby's bigger. The baby's bigger. Um, the baby can be, you know, seven inches, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, even a foot long, uh, depending on where you are in the right. in the in the process. Um, and so this is called a, a DNE, mm-hmm. a dilation and a evacuation. Um, and this is pretty rough. Uh, the The doctor will will take, and this is an in clinic abortion. Sure. You can't, you know, it's like taking a pill at home. Right, right, right. Uh, the doctor will dilate the cervix, and then insert a a retraction device, which is basically a specialized plier. Mm -hmm. has little teeth on it. It's very long and narrow, and he he puts that up into the uterus, and he grabs parts of the baby and rips them off and pulls them out. Right. He'll rip off a leg. Mm -hmm. He'll rip off the other leg. He'll rip off the arms. And they have filmed this Mm -hmm. uh, with ultrasound, and you can see the baby trying to get away from this device. Wow. You can see the baby squirming, um, fighting, kicking. Uh, it's, it's a violent procedure. Yeah. Um, the, you can even see the baby screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I don't know if you, I mean, this is, this is gruesome, but the thought of being dismembered, um, that's pretty rough. It's horrible. Yeah. Uh, then when they, they get to the body, they just start pulling pieces of the body out. Mm. The head is too large to come out, and so they grab it with a, a special plier, and they crush it. Mm. And then they pull the pieces of the head out. Um, then the doctor lays these parts uh, out and makes sure that he has everything accounted for. Oh, my goodness. He puts the pieces of the head back together. He puts the arms and legs in the right place and the chunks of the body and there's a there's a a baby laying there mm. in parts, and he has he's you know then they they scrape everything out and mm. um now it only gets worse when you get to the third trimester because then you have a a rather large child yeah um and this kind of procedure they call late term or partial birth, and the baby is too big to rip out in pieces mm-hmm. um certainly too big to just kill and let the body extracted on its own oh yeah um certainly can't suck it out through a vacuum tube so uh they they typically inject the baby with something that'll cause cardiac arrest Mm. so they'll put a needle in the baby and kill it and then they will induce labor and have a stillbirth Mm -hmm. um i have heard of other procedures i don't know that they are still in practice that the they would induce labor and kill the baby on its way, right? Or when it's partially. I've heard of that yeah. as well. I, yeah. Uh, well, we. I don't think that's still happening, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, anyway, that those are those are common procedures mm. for mm. abortion, 
And they are, uh, again, they're treated in a way by proponents for abortion that it, that it's that's not that brutal. It's pregnancy tissue. It's it's a fetus. It's right. a clump of cells. It's it's a know, wart that needs to be removed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's really not the case. Indeed. Um, yeah. Indeed. There's a little person in there, and you're that person is being ripped to pieces. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so my question is, why would anyone want to do this? Yeah. Um, in, in a perfect world, nobody does. Nobody does. Frederica Matthews Green, one of my favorite authors, famously said, no one wants an abortion as she wants an ice cream cone or a Porsche. She wants an abortion as an animal caught in a trap wants to gnaw off its own leg. Hmm. And she wrote that in a conservative journal, but it got published in a ton of pro-choice literature as well. And years later, she was reflecting on it, and she said, We all know that no one leaves the abortion clinic skipping. Our society is built on an ideal family. And there's a whole series of hopper topics in that short sentence. Um, yeah. That, that our society is... is in there are lots of tangents we could take. So there. many tangents yeah. there. But let's stay on the topic of abortion. Our society is built on an ideal family of a husband and a wife who marry young. They have two children, a house, a white picket fence, and so on. Um, our society is not built to handle a single mother. Mm-hmm. Single mothers have very few options economically. Um. I'm generally for larger family units, even than just a husband and wife and kids. Like the, you need more than that. But a young child that needs at least two adults, probably more than that. Again, that's a topic for the hopper. Let's let's yeah. not get off on that exit. Yeah. But things don't go the way that we want them to go, the way that we dream them to go. When hormones hit, you get super horny. Sex happens. It happens, right? And sex can produce children. That's one of the primary purposes of it, I think. Not the only, but one of the primary purposes. Um, and people make stupid mistakes. That stupid mistake yeah. hasn't happened to me, but I have made lots of stupid mistakes in my right. life. And some of those stupid mistakes are sinful. And yeah. this is one that can be absolutely devastating for a woman in a way that is not devastating to men. Yeah. I do want to pause and just say, say it. that um, if you do not want pregnancy, do not have sex. I agree. Right? Absolutely. But, yeah. That's easy. That, yes. And, and there are people who, who will not take charge of their reproductive health in that way. Yes, I agree. It's like they, they're, they're, um, they're bullied or are unable to control themselves. They're bullied by their own passions and and I understand that drive yes. as well as you do as anyone else sure. who's gone through puberty um, but you can you really can you can not have sex sure until the appropriate time right when a baby would not be so unwelcome sure um, but you're right uh, people will absolutely mistakes will be made that's right people will get caught up in passion things will happen there will be pregnancy and someone will feel like my life is over yeah right Sitting in ivory towers, I think that it's really easy um, to think that women just choose to get abortions so that they can fit into their prom dress, or they're otherwise selfish, right? But I've talked to women who've had abortions. You've talked to women who've had abortions, um, and I've never heard anything like that. And, you know, 
you might be able to find someone who's that shallow, but I think Frederica Matthews Green is right that women choose to get an abortion mostly like an animal choosing to gnaw her own leg off. Yeah, I'm, I am overwhelmed by this responsibility. I don't know what it entails. Yep. I mean, people who are, who are married and want to have kids have yeah. these emotions. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you have a child, life as you have known it is now over. It's changed. That's right. Uh, forever. That's right. It's different. That's and right. And it involves a lot of self-sacrifice. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And to do that on your own, it seems mm-hmm. ridiculously daunting. Um, in research studies, women who choose to get abortions cite many different reasons for getting them, but generally they revolve around not having enough money, um, not having a stable partner, mm-hmm. um, already being committed to taking care of other children or parents or other dependents or whatever. Uh, I could say this, pretty much everybody who gets an abortion is sad about it, and they feel trapped. They feel trapped. Yeah. Now, that's been my experience for sure. I haven't talked to a ton of women, mm-hmm. um, and maybe the ones who are happy about it don't bother to talk to a pastor, right? That's probably true. But the people that I have talked to about it have horrible guilt and shame that has lasted for decades. Yes. They have struggled with that decision and regret it overwhelmingly so. And I have found that it's not just afterwards, it's also before. Mm-hmm. It's also uh, women who have had abortions reflecting with me on what they were feeling before as they try to make the decision. And then also I've talked with women who, are, um, uh, who don't want to be pregnant, but they are pregnant in the moment and trying to make that decision. And it's mm-hmm. hard. It's yeah. difficult. Um, now, you said earlier that, that uh, brought up the issue of, women, uh, of, women, uh, of abortions being a part of health care. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, think, um, I think that to deny a woman an abortion is to deny her some measure of health care. Let me explain what I mean. I both agree and disagree with what I just said, actually. Um, I'll st- start with the agree part. Pregnancy is something that absolutely happens to a woman's body. Uh, generally speaking, a man and a woman have sex together, and then uh, if, if, she, if there's a pregnancy, something happens dramatically to a woman's body and not to a man's body. Right. And those changes... Um, are pretty amazing and have huge consequences, right? And abortion completely changes that's the state of that pregnancy. And so it changes all that's happening to a woman. An abortion will change also all kinds of stuff that's happening to a woman's body. And that's what I mean by it is an abortion is a part of a woman's body and her health. And so there's something related to health care, this. To deny that, I think, is ludicrous. And so when I when I hear people say that this that abortion has, not, has nothing to do with a woman's health care, that, that's just... Um, I, I don't know what to do with that because it's just not true. Um, for most, but that denial, as wrong as it is, I think it's also understandable. And here's what I mean: for most of the history of medicine, doctors are all men, not women. Uh, in fact, I've had um, so you know I'm in healthcare and I've been in healthcare for a long time, and I've had patients who refer to female doctors as nurses. Still, I mean, here we're in 2021, yeah. And I have, you know, a, a, a female doctor comes in to see a patient, and then they leave. And afterwards, my patient will refer to her as a nurse, uh-huh. uh, even though, like, and I say, no, that's a doctor. Well, she can't be a doctor. She's a, anyway, interestingly, it's crazy. I have I have female friends from college who went on to become doctors, and yeah. they have told me that most of their male patients refer to them by their first name instead of doctor so and so. Right. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. 
Okay, so add to that. When we started... Um, when we started applying the scientific method to research in medicine, which was a long time ago, but when we started doing that, women were often not considered as research subjects because they might be pregnant or might become pregnant, and as such, they would throw off the data of some sort, and so we just excluded women. And so, like, for all medicines and surgeries, that we, you know, so the default human is male mm-hmm. in medicine, and that went on for a very long time. Most of the history of medicine, everything is dominated by men, and it's... Uh, it is within our lifetime that most doctors said that women could not physically run marathons because their reproductive parts would fall out. Oh, my. Did you know that? I'm a runner, right? <laughs> I think I have heard that In before. the 70s, doctor, I mean, it was the universal opinion of doctors, OBGYNs, mm-hmm. that women couldn't physically run marathons. That's just bananas. I bring up that history because it's absolutely relevant that when a group of men in the Congress or in Supreme Court or in the church, decide what's good for a woman's physical health? Let's just say that we men have not had the best track record. Yeah, when you're talking about that level of ignorance, that the uterus might fall out while running, maybe you're not fit to make decisions for women. Right, but it was the universal opinion of doctors, and that was within our lifetime. Hmm. That was in the 70s. And so when... When it's a group of men making a decision about a woman's health care, I can understand how people are... Uh, Up in arms about it. Yeah, like, wait yeah. a second, that's not right. Yeah, I mean, you just, just plug that into our current problem with understanding race and power... There and you go. ...sexuality... There in, you go. ...in the bigger picture. Of course, women are, are fed up with, with men ruling their lives. And so when, when I hear... That a woman's that abortion is is a part of woman's health care. There's no question that it has to do with her health and with the care of her body. No question about that. And for men to make decisions about that, I've got some real problems there, and I think we should because of the the power dynamics that you're talking about. On the other hand, yeah, abortion does not only affect the health of the woman. Right. There is a baby. Yeah. And abortion affects the health care of that baby. Dramatically so. Much more dramatically than the health care of the woman. Right. Um, And that baby does not have his or her voice yet and is not able to express a choice. Uh, But does does that mean that 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 baby's health care is irrelevant? No. Pregnancy, as I see it, we've got a moral analogy of like two conjoined twins that are attached to each other physically. What affects the health care of one affects the health care of the other, and we've got to be concerned about both. I absolutely agree. I really agree. believe that. Absolutely agree. You know, it, when you have a child who is a toddler, um, by and large, that child is in danger. If they're, if they're to be murdered, yeah. they're most likely to be murdered by their own parents. Yeah. Um, which is to say that a woman or a man or a parent um, doesn't, always look out for the best interests of their children, even when they're out of the womb. That's true. Um, And society has to protect those children. That's true. uh, When they're out of the womb, and in my my argument, when they're in the womb as well. I agree. I I completely agree with a woman's right to choose to do whatever she wants with her body. Yes. That, you know, makes sense. Yep. Um, But as long as it doesn't involve another person, and in this case, it terminates another person. Right. That's the issue. Yeah, that's the issue. So, 
we have been really clear that we think that abortion is morally wrong. Where does that put us with all the women who have chosen to have abortions or all the men who have encouraged mm-hmm. women in their life to have abortions? Uh, it's got to be forgiveness and grace. My model for these um, and so many issues is Jesus speaking to the woman caught in adultery, which is one of my favorite stories from the Gospel of John. There's a whole thing yeah. there. But anyway, uh, I think it's a great analogy. This woman is caught by some group of uppity men and brought to Jesus. Mm-hmm. She's caught in the act of adultery. Maybe with one of them, for all we know. Yeah. yeah. Or if she's caught in the act, that means there was a man present. Yeah. Where is that guy? Yeah. No, we're not dealing with him. Apparently. No, no. Well, let's just, let's just tackle the woman. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay. It's her fault. Okay. They didn't bring him. And listen, for every abortion, there is a man who has helped with this baby. Right. Where is that guy? Right. Oh, I, I could really jump on this. I mean, I am all over the compassion yeah. and the forgiveness, yeah. and I want, we'll get right back to that. But when it comes to the men, yeah. I want to say, you, if you're old enough... Yep. To have sex. Yep. You are old enough to take the responsibilities yep. that come with sex. That's right. And if you are not, then don't do it. Right. Don't pressure. That's right. Your your woman into sex. Don't. You know. What oh I'm yeah. No, and, I hear you. Yeah. It, I hear you. This is part of the package. Oh yeah. Sex produces children often. Yeah. And a lot of people aren't even trying to prevent that. Right. If they're out there swinging and and trying to have a fun time. (laughs) Yeah. They're not even preventing uh, what is inevitable. Yep. And you need to take responsibility for yourself. And you need to take responsibility for that child. And you should never pressure a woman to abort a baby because you don't want to be a man. That's right. That's right. Anyway, back to the story. I'm yes. with you 100%. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And back to the story with Jesus and this, uh, and a group of uppity men bring this woman caught in adultery to Jesus. Um, and what happens? He, they're asking, what, you know, what should we do with this? You know, what do you think we should do with this woman? They're trying to test him. You know? And so the, the law code was really clear about her offense and the punishment she right. should endure, and that is a capital offense. She should be put to death. And so Jesus says to the men, Whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. And one by one, they all leave. And then it's just Jesus and the woman left together. And he looks at her and says, go and sin no more. Yeah. I love that because at once he recognizes the sin and calls it sin. And then he says, you are free and don't do it again. Yeah. I think that's just beautiful. He and, literally yeah. stands yeah. between people who want to kill her and, and protects her from them. Yeah. Even though she deserves it, he forgives her without saying, it's okay what you did. Right. I love it. Yeah, and he, he's, the, he's the one man who's left. All the rest have, have gone because they are with sin. That's right. But he's the one man who is without sin, who could yes. justifiably bring condemnation upon right. her, but he doesn't. That's right. He forgives, he blesses, and he says, learn from this. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Um, I think that's beautiful, and that's where we need to be with all these folks. Um, it, for those who have had abortions or who have encouraged them, my message, our message, go and sin no more. Uh, the church should be a safe place for these people with no judgment. Yeah. Have you ever talked to a man who has been grief-stricken having convinced someone to have an abortion? Never. Me neither. Never. But, oh, my goodness. The women, yeah. though. The yeah. hurt, the pain, the need for pastoral care. Yeah. 
that's interesting. I, I would, having said what I just said, I, I do need to backtrack and say, if you uh, are out there and you are grieving as a man, yes. having pressured someone yes, into yes, this yes, decision yes. and you are feeling the shame or guilt, um, there's a place for you at the cross. That's there's right. a place for you in the church That's right. for people to have compassion That's and right. to love you well. That's right. Indeed, That's right. as you repent. Thank you for saying that. I yeah. think that's that's well said. Yeah. Okay, so we need to wrap this up uh, soon. Uh, in the end, here's what I want to know. When it comes to this issue, this mm-hmm. is my most passionate thing. How can we stop abortion? Yes. There are basically two schools of thought as I see it. Mm-hmm. Supply side and demand side. That seems a crass way to put it, but it organizes it well in my mind. Okay, explain. Uh, first, the supply side. If you th- if you think of an abortion as a service, like a restaurant or a window washing or something, uh, one way to stop something that you want to stop is to shut down the supply. If you make it illegal to operate a restaurant, you can eliminate that service, right? So this is the tactic of trying to make abortion illegal. This is what the media focus uh, is on with so many people who are opposed to abortion. As I said before, President Trump has appointed recently three Supreme Court justices who are very conservative on the matter, and you know, people are working really hard to overturn Roe v. Wade so that it is, um, so that abortion becomes illegal, and that all the states right. are trying to make it harder and harder and harder. That's shutting down the supply side. Um, which, which you can, we can understand. I can understand that this is this is a brutal act, absolutely, and we want this to stop. I, I yes, yes. However. My understanding, now I'm not a legal expert, neither are you, but my understanding from reading and listening to legal experts is that there is just too much precedent in our country to overturn Roe v. Wade. Theoretically, it's possible, but uh, even if it is overturned, that puts the question of abortions back onto the states. Uh And so the states can do what they want to. Um, I'm not sure that's a win. Yeah. Uh, If you want to save babies. It's certainly not a win if um, brutal home-based abortions continue or are, are and, elevated and as a result. That, yeah, brutal. Right. So the abortions still happen, and now you've got women who are... Infected. Yes. Butchered. Yes. Yeah, it, it goes underground in, in illegal circles. So what do... We, yeah, continue. A, a prohibition is no more going to stop people from having abortions than it stopped alcohol consumption when we had prohibition. Mm-hmm. Um, new medicine allows for abortions to be safe, which is a pill, and that can be accessed now. You know, uh, pot is illegal in much of the country, but people smoke pot everywhere. Right. And so making abortion illegal, I don't think it's going to really stop abortions. Uh, if the only issue I cared about um, was making abortion illegal then having three Supreme Court justices and these legal issues, that would be a huge deal to me. But I don't care about that, honestly. What I care about is stopping abortions, stopping the, the procedures that you're talking about yeah. from happening. Um, what I care about is giving babies a chance to live, or actually, more importantly, protecting and promoting the image of God wherever we see it for His glory. Right. Now, um, That's a much more comprehensive topic, yeah, right? Absolutely. We have to look at this in a bigger picture. Right. Right. In the last 10 years, many states in the South and Midwest have forced abortion clinics to close for lots of different reasons. They've made it far more difficult to get an abortion. But the statistics in those states have 
not shown that those measures make any difference in the number of abortions being performed. You shut down massive numbers of abortion clinics, and the same number of abortions are being performed. In other words, in some states, the numbers do go down, but in other states, the numbers go up. Um, However, I don't know if you know this or not, but overall, the rates of abortion have been going down since 1980, every year. They've been going down. So what happens is pro-life activists can easily say that abortion numbers are going down. Um, So they would close clinics and abortion numbers went down. Well, technically that's true, but they also went down in New York where they're opening up new abortion clinics. Mm -hmm. And they're not going down at any quicker rate because we are closing abortion clinics in states like Missouri and Texas. Um, Compared to the national averages, I can't find any link between restricting access to abortion and falling abortion rates. In other words, all of that work doesn't actually help and end abortions. End abortions. Okay. Yeah. The truth is women are going to find a way to get an abortion if they want one. That's the supply side, and I don't think it works. Now, the demand side. This makes so much more sense to me, honestly. I think the most effective way to stop abortions is to help women who are in crisis pregnancies. Mm-hmm. I said earlier that crisis pregnancy centers vary widely as to their approach to the issues and to the tactics and that kind of stuff. Some pregnancy crisis pregnancy centers that are run by Christians, some of them honestly are bait-and-switch shops where women are tricked and, and, and they're treated harshly, but others are actually really, really helpful and provide all kinds of health care, economic support, relational and spiritual support, mm-hmm. and they're wonderful. And we need more of those and fewer of the really bad ones, and there are some horrific ones out mm-hmm. there. We need not-for-profits, churches... And honestly, I think we need the government, too, to provide more support. And when women feel empowered and supported, if they feel less trapped, yeah. they're not going to need to gnaw their own leg off. Right. And when we see women in traps, we've got to stop lecturing them about how bad it is to chew their own leg off. We need to start releasing them from the traps. Yeah. That's what I think. I absolutely agree. Um, you know, and going back to what you said about health care, uh, like I, I was mentioning, the word health has lost its meaning to me okay. because it's so widely it's applied. Huge, yeah. sure. um, you know, when I think of healthcare, and most people, when they hear uh, uh, this is detrimental to the woman's health, we're thinking of her physical well-being. Sure. But the word health is now entails her mental health, her sure. social health, her sure. economic health. Sure. And so it, it does become more complicated and, and, and political. Yeah, and people in their political tribalism, which we've talked about, that, yeah. they care more about that yes. and their narrative and their political side than they care about the the child and what's happening here. That's and right. then they say, "Well, this is a baby, and let's just let's just outlaw it." Well, that's not thoughtful enough. And honestly, that happens on both sides. So you're saying yeah. on the side of the conservatives, but it happens on the side of, of liberals as well that care more about the legal options. Of women than right. they do about caring about the women who are trapped in the first place. Right, and and what appears to be choice. Yes, um, you're right. We need an army of support. Yes, and if there are people who are in churches listening right now, um, you need to talk to your church about some sort of ministry yep. to help pregnancies, yep. to help women in crisis. That's right. Um, they need support, and that that will dramatically lower the number of abortions, when they feel empowered, when they feel helped, when they know that they have a community that's going to, to not let their life be terminated as they see it in their mind, Yep. right? Mm-hmm. And so that pushes them to to terminate their child that's right. to try to free themselves. Yep. Again, that gnawing the leg off out of a trap is great, a great picture. 
yep. of what they are feeling. Yep. That they would go to the lengths to jab a coat hanger or other sort of brutal tactics. <sighs> They're so desperate, right? Mm-hmm. We need to deal with that comprehensively. Yes. And what's going on in their psychology right. and, and why they're feeling that way. That's right. And if we look at the big picture and we address it, abortions do go down. That's right. Absolutely. And we can get rid of abortion, I think, on in, in both ways. Yes. But we need to have that full support in place. Churches need to get on the stick. We need other nonprofit ministries. We do need government. We need everyone involved yeah. as a society. Yeah. Um, a conservative says what I said, and I said that for their sake, and because it is true that if you don't want a pregnancy, don't have sex. True. And that's where conservatives, they always err on the side of personal responsibility. True, true. Um, and the liberals always going to look at things more socially. Yeah. And you and I want to bring those things together. Both are true. And say, we, hey, uh, how many of you who say that had sex before marriage? Indeed. A lot, this is a problem. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's a compelling uh, physiological response when you hit right. puberty, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. No, no matter the, the greatest intentions that yeah. you might have, yeah. you, there's a big temptation <laughs> yeah. that overcomes you at times. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's not any confession on my part. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I yeah, hear you. It, it's, it's, it's foolishness to think that a teenager is going to have that level of self-control. That's right. And, um, no matter how many sermons you preach. N- right. And how well you raise them right. th- at, That's right. th- at, the, at the wrong moment, the wrong time, call it foolish, call it irresponsible, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, it's going to happen a- in places, and we That's need right. a comprehensive look at how to prevent these babies, who are the, the innocent partaker of uh, any right. of this, That's right. from being killed uh, for the sake of economic health, whatever you want to call sure. it. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Um, we need to rally. We do. Yeah, as a nation, as a people, particularly the Christians. In terms of a call to action, I can't leave this topic without talking about adoption. Yes. Um, you know, this is it's one of the most important pieces to this puzzle. Um, you know that I have seven adopted brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. all of them kids that nobody else wanted. Um, I've adopted my son. Yeah. My dad was adopted. Both my grandmothers were adopted when they were children. Um. And so if you are a person who encourages women to bring their babies to term in unwanted pregnancies uh, and to put them up for adoption, then you've got to do something to help yeah. with adoption. You just have to. Absolutely. There are thousands of children right now in the foster care system who are ready to be adopted, but there's not enough adoptive families. If every church in America right now would adopt just one child, one child into each church there wouldn't be enough children to go around. Um, but a lot of people cannot adopt right now. Some people can. Um, but if you can't, then I, I always tell people to partner with an adoptive family and to help them, to encourage them, to babysit for them, buy them yeah, yeah. diapers, uh, walk Support with them to the activity. process. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's... It, adoption, especially of older children, is extraordinarily difficult. Uh, but even with babies, it is not always easy. And um, we need to encourage our fam- families who are willing to do that. And some people are willing, ready, and need to make that decision. And they need support to know that it's going to be okay if they do. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And and women who are in crisis, one of the encouragements to them is to say, hey, um, it, it, Let's not terminate this pregnancy. I will walk with you, 
And you've got lots of months to figure out whether you're ready to be a mother or not. And if you're not, there are people who are in line who want to give this baby a great home. Right. And they can have, a, and you can circle back at some point and say, I am your biological parent. And the, the options totally. remain open. Yes. But they need to have that kind of psychology and that kind of support and that, that offer that can't just be, uh, hey, be warm and well fed and be on your way. Oh you know, goodness. like the book yeah. of James says, right. it needs to be uh, incarnational. It needs to be a holistic approach to saying, we're going to be here. We're going to support you. And this is what it's going to look like. And we have this ministry over here and we have this, you know, we have these options and we're going to have these things that people are going to be involved and in. here's how they're going to be involved. Yeah. And we can walk with you in this and you can do this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But we, we need more adoptive families. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're for families who want healthy white babies, healthy white infants, uh, there's not enough of those kids to go around. Everybody wants a healthy white infant. But if it's not healthy or not white or not an infant, then the, chance, the chances yeah. of that person getting adopted are very, very small. Yeah. We need more people to do that. So that's abortion. You know what? We, there are uh, a thousand... Avenues, avenues that we could tangents, have gone down that are so much super more to say. important. Yeah, uh, chime in. Uh, let us know what you think. What you would like other tangents to? Uh, they could certainly fill a, a whole topic for the hopper. Absolutely. Yeah. Let us know. Um, you can disagree with us. We're um, we're we're agreeable with disagreement. That's right. <laughs> so uh, uh, let us know what you think. William Sophie Hero with the Hopper Podcast. I want to give a quick shout out to Ray Vickery, who, after listening to this episode, pointed out to us that I said something that was factually inaccurate. Earlier in the episode, I said that the IRS refused to give funding to some schools, including Bob Jones University and Lynchburg Christian School, for their practice of segregation. That's not actually true. Bob Jones University did lose their. Um, tax-exempt status and didn't actually get it back until the year 2000 when they finally let their students date people of a different race. I was not factually inaccurate about that, but I was about Lynchburg Christian School. They actually never lost their tax-exempt status, even though I said that they did. The uh, IRS threatened to take their tax-exempt status away from them, but two years after they were founded as a whites-only school, they integrated, and so they never actually lost any uh, tax-exempt status from the federal government. Sorry about that, and we will try to do better. Hey, if you've got a way that we got it wrong, please let us know, and we will correct it. Thanks for listening to the Hopper Podcast. Now it's your turn to join the conversation. Are you a survivor of abortion? Do you have issues with adoption? Tell us what you think. Write us at thehopperpodcast at gmail.com, or you can record a short voice memo on your phone, and you can send it to thehopperpodcast at gmail.com. Let's keep the conversation going about things that matter, in this case really matter, and things that don't. I'm sure you know someone who needs to listen to this show. Please tell them about it and give us a like. Send them the link. Uh, Subscribe and follow, and thanks for listening to the Hopper Podcast.